0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the RBR recap presented by round by round boxing and RX water. Welcome to the RBR recap episode 12. I'm Alex Burgos joined as always by Gabe Rivas tuning in on Sunday, April 10th after a busy weekend of fights four big cards. Gabe, how are you, sir? I'm good. I think we all have a boxing hangover.
1: From a good 12, 14, 15 hours of boxing starting in the morning with Triple G mm-hmm. and then ending at night with uh, Sebastian Fandora and Ryan Garcia.
0: Most definitely. Yeah. And I saw people, uh, you know, from across the pond and whatnot talking throughout the week, man, I don't want to see anyone in the States complaining about having to get up. Um, Cause I know over there it's hard being a boxing fan, man. When we're we're doing our primetime, our main events, you know, it's super early over there or super late, however you want to look at it. So we got a little bit of a, a dose of our own medicine this weekend. So although I will say I don't I don't mind so much waking up early. And then it was a good fight, you know, between Triple G and Murata. So and then just led me into my day. And then uh, obviously more boxing is always fun as the, the nightcap. So for sure, there's a lot to discuss. And we're going to start off with the Golovkin-Murata fight, uh, which happened on zone. The main event kicked off at around 8 a.m. Eastern time, somewhere in that range. And um, it was an interesting fight. So what happened was going in, you know, 40-year-old Gennady Golovkin turned 40 on Friday. Um, against 36 year old Rayota Murata, who was a middleweight title unification clash and going in a lot of people were saying, you know, is this going to be the triple G of old or an old triple G. And I think what we got was a little bit of both. It depends what part of the fight you saw. And it's funny because, you know, discussing this with my brother, um, he was like, I saw from round five on. So I'm like, that's funny. You're right at that line where it's like, you would think that, oh, he didn't look so bad. You know, he, he started uh, to break Murata down, but those that were questioning is triple G too old to then parlay this and transition this victory into a fight with Canelo. You, you certainly have a lot of questions and a lot of uh, discussion around that. So through four rounds, it was pretty tough for triple G, um, looked every bit of 40 years old, uh, but to his credit he came back and really weathered the storm and broke down Murata and eventually stopped him in the ninth with a pretty vicious shot um, up top and the towel was thrown in. Gabe, this fight, again, I'll I'll say it once more, was kind of a tale of two fights. I want to get your opinion on how Triple G looked and really what are the viable options for him moving forward off of this victory?
1: G had to shake off some ring rust at the beginning of the fight Murad is a bit younger, so his relative youth was an advantage in the early rounds by allowing him to be a little quicker and more active. Uh, and it was clear that body punching was part of his game plan, something that we saw affect Triple G in the Derevianchenko fight. And I think people have seen that perhaps that's a vulnerability in Triple G, the punches to the body. But Golovkin's skill and his power started to make a difference as the rounds progressed. He had a better jab on the inside he was more creative in terms of his offense, uh, punching around the guard over and around as we've grown accustomed to him doing. And we've seen him in, do that against many fighters uh, in round six. I think that was a pivotal round. And you mentioned that if you started watching the fight at round five, around six, you would have thought, oh, OK, this is the triple G of old. Uh, and he did kind of look like that during those last couple rounds. But that's because, you know, he allowed himself to kind of shake the ring rust off. Murata got a little bit tired, and then the skill and power of Golovkin started to take over. Uh, And so in round six, he caught him with a right hand that forced uh, Murata's mouth guard out of his mouth, and then he didn't look the same after that, and he eventually stopped him uh, in round nine. So dominant performance uh, to an extent, because in the first round, he had to get rid of that ring rust, and uh, it was clear that someone with uh who's younger who's quicker who's more active Is gonna cause a lot of trouble for Triple G at this advanced age at 40 and look and moving forward it looks like he has secured his third fight the trilogy fight with Canelo Canelo still has to get past Dimitri Bevo but if you're asking me is he too old to be a unified champion and 160 uh no Clearly, right, if he can do it, if he can go in enemy territory and beat Ryota Murata and take his title away and knock him out, he's not too old to be a unified champion. But is he too old to move up to 168 pounds and beat a prime Canelo, who's younger, quicker, faster, perhaps a a lot more technical um, in in terms of his offense? Then perhaps the, the answer is yes, he might be too old. And I think the consensus going into the fight is that despite his... Iron chin, despite being uh, a great fighter, we
0: might see him
1: get stopped in this fight uh, with Canelo at 168 pounds.
0: Yeah, I wrote down a couple of things that you said. Uh, The ring rust was one thing that a lot of people were mentioning. And you know me over the years. I've been always been a, a big Triple G guy. Just seeing him perform against Murata is just, you know, I think not only the ring rust. Obviously, there was a little bit of that, but you know, age catches up with us. Father time, as they say, is undefeated. And it's not a knock against him. He's just old. And the style of, um, you know, fighting that he's made a living off of uh, his whole career um, has been, I'll take three to give you one. And my one is going to hurt more than your three. Uh, You know, eventually that's going to catch up with you. I don't care who you are. And so he systematically broke Murata down, which has been his, you know, his calling and what he does. But Murata also, there was not enough made, I think, because they're hyping up the storyline of, you know, Triple G hasn't been in the ring since 2020, you know, December of 2020. Murata hadn't been in the ring since December of 2019, a full year longer than Triple G. And he's no spring chicken either. 36 years of age. What he did, I thought his game plan was very intelligent. Like you said, focus on the body. Golovkin, I mean, just continually, progressively through fights now since the Derevchenko fight Um, Even the Canelo fights in in moments. He just does not take body shots. Well, Uh, he looks like he's related to Keith Thurman, you know, and those are two high level great fighters. But it's just like if you hit them with body shots, you're going to really visibly see the effects of that, you know, and that's kind of something that a lot of trainers say, a lot of commentators say, it's like, you got to invest that. It's not the sexy thing to do, go to the body because you don't see that investment until later on in the fight. But with Golovkin now, it's like you start hitting him early and he's like wincing. And it's just like, he's not taking those punches well at all. For that reason, I really don't want to see a a third Canelo fight. I think he could, for his health, he could get hurt. Uh, I don't think that's a competitive fight. And I would much rather see him get in the ring and try to unify Again, an incredible feat would be uh, becoming undisputed at 160. You got Jamal Charlo and Demetrius Andrade. Those are huge fights. If Andre decides to come back down and stay at, at 160, if they can make those fights, at least one of those fights, the Andrade fight is a matchroom fight. I would much rather see him face one of those guys than kind of, um, you know, draw up the kind of pretend drama. And we've already heard two different sides of the story. Canelo's kind of drawing the storyline up saying, oh, it's personal, it's this and that. And Golovkin's like, for me, it's not personal. You know, if it was personal, we would have fought right after that second one. I think for his career and for his own health, uh, he should probably look forward and look towards another fight.
1: Yeah. And, and it's not the same fight. It's not the same. There's not the same interest as there was in 2017, where these guys were all on sports center doing interviews and stuff like that. Uh, and it, even the 2018 fight wasn't as interesting going into it. Uh, in terms of promotion as the 2017 fight. So a few years down the line, uh, everything's different. Canelo's at a different level right now, and he is the big star, and he's, I think, the pound for pound king of, the, of boxing.
0: Also on Saturday, we had a top-ranked card on ESPN, headlined by champion Michaela Mayer against former world champion Jennifer Hahn. Mayer dominated and took a unanimous decision uh, by scores of 100 to 90 twice and 99 to 91, retaining her WBO and IBF Junior Lightweight titles in the process. Now, Gabe, you were there. Mayer, uh, coming off of her title victory where she unified against Amadouche, kind of had this homecoming and really performed well. She bloodied Han up in the fourth, I believe, and almost had her out in the eighth or ninth around there. And so she really did what she needed to do, a totally different style of fight. Then her last fight where she really won a lot of fans going toe to toe and showed that she can, you know, fight that phone booth fight and really excite fans. But she's got technical skills. She's an, uh, an Olympian and works with legendary coach Al Mitchell. So she's got a lot going for her right now. Again, she was successful by one sided victory last night. What were your thoughts being there uh, in person of Mayer's performance and kind of what should be next or what's on the horizon for her?
1: It was a dominant performance by Michaela Mayer at the Hangar the OC Event Center in Costa Mesa, California. Very fun event put by Top Rank Boxing. Uh, she was very aggressive, even though she didn't have to be so. She could have easily worked off the jab and used long punches the entire night. But to her credit, like she did in her previous fight, she pushed the she pushed the action. She dominated the, uh, the fight at the expense of receiving punches. Like you said, she is an Olympian. She does have the amateur background, but she's willing to step in there and trade and make a fight exciting, which is very good for her. It's good for women's boxing. It's good for boxing in general when you engage in these kinds of um, entertaining fights. Uh, After the fight, she said that she wants to fight the two other champions who are Alicia Baumgartner. She has the WBC title. She also wants to fight Mi Choi, who has a WBA title. Both of these are with Matchroom. We've seen that Top Rank and Matchroom are both willing to make fights between their fighters. Um, you know, in cross promotional boundaries, that would be an interesting uh, potential fight to make against either of the champions. She wants to be undisputed champion at 130 pounds, but she also said that, if those fights can't be made in the near future, she's willing to challenge the winner of Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano, which would also be a very historic fight in women's boxing. So like you said, she's in a really good spot. She's very marketable. She has skill. She knows how to be exciting. And there are potential uh, historic fights in her path.
0: Definitely. And I think it would be a little bit of a letdown if she didn't get to uh, go for an undisputed run at this weight class. I think that that's an exciting fight against Baumgartner just because of the Twitter beef and the social media things. I think Mayer is a step above uh, everyone at that division. And it's telling that she's willing to challenge herself and go up and face, you know, according to ESPN, the number one or two woman in the world in Katie Taylor or Amanda Serrano. So depending on that, how that fight goes, you know, Mayer could be eyeing that winner. Um, But Again, it depends how that fight goes. Let's say it's a close fight. I'm sure you know they'll be open to doing a rematch in Ireland, let's say or the UK, wherever. So they may be tied to each other beyond this uh, first fight. Now you know assuming that it's a competitive fight or maybe even there's some controversy going on, obviously we don't always get you know knockouts in women's boxing, but Serrano is a heavy puncher. so um, that's always a possibility. But uh, Mayer does have some options like you mentioned in the two matchroom fighters, Baumgartner and Choi. Uh, Obviously, they're going to try to settle things between them first and then really bring um, this mega matchup. Uh, between the winner of that fight and Mayer to really, um, you know, go for undisputed in this weight class. But as far as the fight against Jennifer Hahn, Jennifer Hahn's not a slouch. She's a former world champion. Um, she has skills, you could tell. But, you know, she was outmatched, now gunned against Mayer, who's uh, continually gotten better. And I think she's shown that, yeah, hey, I can dig in the trenches. I love that. Also saying, you know, before the fight, she did a little piece with Mark Kriegel. It's like, at the end of the day, this is entertainment. People are coming in to watch me. They're paying um, I'm going to try to do my best, not only to just, you know, box on the outside and, you know, use my stick and control things, but if I want, I'll go in there and, and bang a little bit and I may take some to give some, that is a very marketable, um, you know, thing to say and, and her personality goes a long way. Hopefully she gets the headline a couple more bouts because as we're saying, Matchroom may be tied up a little bit with their fighters and who who knows how long that's going to go on. So uh, hopefully for mayor's sake she stays busy and then after this we'll see what happens uh, whether she stays at this weight class or moves up after more than a year off and out of the ring ryan garcia made a successful return in san antonio he headlined the card on DeZone. zone uh, he won a one-sided victory over emmanuel to go scores were 118 109 and 119 108 twice now garcia scored a second round knockdown against to go and spent the bulk majority of the fight trying to kind of replicate that moment um, and really, you know, score that knockout that the fans wanted. Uh, Gabe, what were your thoughts on Garcia's return to the ring? Um, also, the way that he spoke, I think, was pretty telling after the fight um, seemed to have a little bit of a, a, a bit more of a personality change and um, just maybe what's next for him in terms of potential matchups.
1: Brian Garcia returned after a more than one year layoff. And I think that we have to be cautious with our expectations going into that fight. He had to deal with uh, some mental health issues, a hand injury, a new trainer. So you have to take all that into consideration. And I'd like to see another performance or two before we kind of determine where he is at at 135 pounds. Because as far as I'm concerned, once you've been away from the ring for over a year, you're a non-active fighter. And so what he's doing right now is staking his claim as a contender uh, after not being active for, um, for so long. And that's going to take more than one fight. Um, what, it, what is good to see is that after the fight, uh, he demonstrated some more maturity in his post-fight interview with Chris Mannix. They asked him if the Tank Davis fight is next. And he said, you know what? Let my, I'm going to let my team decide and figure that out. I think all fighters want to fight the best competition, um, but they have to be a little bit smart in their delivery of, um, uh, uh, in terms of calling fighters out and asking for their fights and saying, look, let my team figure that out. Uh, because it does bother fans when you're constantly calling out all these fighters and it doesn't happen. Ryan Garcia admitted as much in his post fight interview. And so he's learned to be a little bit more diplomatic and let it progress naturally. And in his own words, when we fight, we fight. And I think doing things like that, being more diplomatic, saying that my team is gonna handle it rather than calling people out, is gonna earn some more fans uh, because what I think fans wanna see is to say, hey, you know, we're seeing that perhaps you're not ready and now you're seeing it too and you're admitting as much and being mature about it and letting things happen uh, naturally instead of calling people out.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was, uh, it was a good sign after the fight where he said, and I'll, I'll read the direct quote. He said, in the past, I'm always with the call-outs. You know, we've seen him with the Devin Haney stuff. We've seen him with the Javante Davis call-outs. And he said, I know it's fun, but it's unrealistic. I don't want to lie to the fans. Look, I'll take that all day, every day, over this new age of social media boxers that are just calling everyone out left and right when, in actuality, anyone that follows the sport, knows that not only is there's levels to boxing, there's also promotional levels and and battles that have to be won uh, for a fight like that to be made. And so when you're talking about the crown jewel of Golden Boy, the crown jewel of Mayweather promotions, you know, it it's not a fight that's just going to be thrust upon the public without some build, uh, build up and hype. And so these guys, you know, just aren't on the, the same path right now. They're not going to fight right now for anyone that thinks that's going to happen. You know, you'd like to see a little bit more uh, from Ryan Garcia in terms of being able to cut off the ring, um, I thought the 12 rounds were excellent for him because he got to get that action, got to get back into the swing of things against a guy that was very difficult, you know, that presented challenges in terms of maybe not uh, firepower coming back at him, but, you know, how do I crack this this fighter. How do I crack this code? How do I get to the spots that I need to get to to be successful to score a knockout, to score a knockdown? And so those are the things that Ryan's going to have to work on. It's not just uh, a matter of loading up and you're going to knock out every guy that you touch with your, you know, your hook or your uppercut. And so I think he he loaded up a lot and uh, he was obviously trying to please the fans with the knockout and kudos to him for that. But. I'd like to see him work on his more uh, technical aspects of the game. And I think cutting off the ring, he even mentioned after the fight was one of those things. So as far as next, I will say, you know, like Jojo Diaz was saying, he'd love to be an opponent for him. And look, if you're not calling guys out, if you're Ryan Garcia, you're not calling guys out. And then that fight gets made because it's within the golden boy banner. Like I I think fans would be, you know, ecstatic with that fight. You know, you don't have to be calling out uh, Tofimo Lopez and Devin Haney and all these other guys. If that fight gets made, um, that's the type of thing that he's talking about. Look, when it gets made, it gets made. Just watch my next fight when it happens. And those are the types of progressive fights that I think are right for him right now. It may be too much for him right now. I don't know what your thoughts are, but, you know, a fight like Jojo Diaz, who's been on that top level, um, or a guy like uh, Javier Fortuna, even. What do you think? But from a technical standpoint, to go real quickly back to the Takeo fight,
1: you're right. He needs to work on cutting down, cutting off the ring, using his jab more, working the body from a distance in our early rounds. And I think also implementing a long term strategy. Now, perhaps he didn't expect to go to move around and run the entire fight. I'm usually not. Uh, that critical of fighters who want to box, but the kind of game plan of Tego was to run. He was in survival more for 12 rounds. And it's really hard to knock somebody out when they're doing that. And so, um, I would like to see him work on implementing a long term strategy of using your jab, trying to land these punches to the body and slowing down an opponent who moves around a lot. And so moving forward, a fight like Javier Fortuna, I think, would teach him a lot in order to be able to deal with those kinds of fighters, because part of matchmaking is not only developing the fighter uh, into having a nice record, but also getting him used to different styles so that in the big fights, when he fights, someone like a javier fortuna he knows how to deal with that because he's going to be more elusive right uh and also dealing with pressure fight is dealing with all different styles so that when it really matters and you have these big purses and everyone's watching you know what to do with these different kinds of styles Um, so i wouldn't mind seeing a javier fortuna fight i would also not mind seeing the jojo diaz fight Um, jojo diaz is going to be his toughest fight to date Uh, and in terms of style He's gonna be—he's gonna be right in front of Ryan. He's gonna be pushing him. He's gonna be pushing him back. Um, but that might favor Ryan because he needs someone to push him back in order to land the counter hooks that really hurt people, right? But I've never seen JoJo Diaz hurt before. How is his chin gonna react to someone like Ryan Garcia? So a lot of variables that make this fight very intriguing.
0: Definitely, yeah. And from what we saw last night, the crowd was in full effect. You know, everyone was—it was a raucous event. Um, you know, Ryan Garcia did not lose his star power is what I want to say. So, you know, he's got that going for him. Uh, It's always been a case where, you know, online, you know, boxing fans Uh, find him an easy target to say oh well you do you know this this and that on social media but we want to see you fight the guys he's still going to do his social media thing he's still going to be this larger than life presence um, outside of the ring because he's just a popular guy he's he's that um, you know that type of fighter and that type of personality and good for him hopefully he continues to progress because a lot of these guys you know his contemporaries that we're mentioning um, they're young. So. There's going to be that possibility and that chance, even if it's not this year or next year, that these mega fights will happen down the road. And lastly, on Saturday night, we had an exhilarating matchup between Erickson Lubin and Sebastian Fondora. This fight um, took the cake for the day and could end up being in the conversation for fight of the year. It had a little bit of everything. Uh, round of the year, round seven was a classic. Um, it had a brutal uh, display of just power punches and you know how Lubin ended up looking uh, visually after the fight was pretty telling as well. Uh, in round two, Sebastian Fedora landed a, a well-placed or multiple well-placed uppercuts and it was finally the right uppercut that dropped Lubin. And to his credit, Lubin, who was shaken, got up, fought on and came back and knocked Fondora down in the seventh, which, you know, was mentioned as, a, you know, probably round of the night and then may even be round of the year uh, when it's all said and done at the end of 2022. Huge win for uh, Fondora, who was a betting underdog, slight going in. He was a uh, around a plus one twenty five. Lubin was a minus one fifty five. Um, so it was pretty close. Vendora, the unbeaten fighter. Lubin, of course, only one loss against um, the champion, Jermell Charlo. So nothing to be ashamed of there. But, man, these guys went at it, went toe-to-toe, and it was just a battle of attrition uh, really in the trenches. And I got a feel for Lubin because it must be hard fighting against a guy that's 6'5 and a 6'6", that doesn't even use his, his height. I mean, he was there, you know, face to face with him in the trenches. And I think Lubin just, you know, maybe fought the wrong game plan. Um, Kevin Cunningham said the right things, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, when you're in there in that moment and you're hitting the guy with punches that nine times out of 10 folds, everyone else, you know, they don't call his hands hammer and Jack for no reason. I mean, he's got power, but uh, Fandora, you know, was at the end of the day, showed that he's got a tremendous chin. And so, um, you know, now he opens up the possibilities for so many more fights for himself. And he's really proven that he's not just this physical freak. Uh, and kind of like a sideshow show that they're putting out in front of us, which we've seen in boxing before, you know, sometimes you get, you know, ex ball players and this and that, and they're just really I big or down. tall. Remember exactly. I exactly. <laughs> uh, you get guys like that, but no, Fandora can fight and he showed sure that he can take a punch and really defeat a top contender in Erickson Lubin. So Gabe, I want to kick it to you in terms of what you thought about this fight, both men and kind of where they go from here. It was an exciting fight from uh, Lubin and Fundora, valiant effort from Lubin.
1: Like you mentioned, he was dropped with a vicious uppercut, right uppercut uh, in the second round. He survived the incoming onslaught and even dropped Fundora in round seven. Uh, but ultimately, Fundora was too much for Lubin um, in, in, in round nine when he when he stopped. When he was stopped by Fundora, I think one factor that could have helped Lubin is to use a little bit more head movement, especially when Fundora was doing some of the volume punching, throwing lots of punches. It's one thing to have good defense with the high guard, but it's another thing to also move your head and use some um, lateral movement. I think that could have helped them avoid the uppercuts because once you get into that defensive shell uh, with someone like Fandora or any intelligent fighter like we saw with Triple G do is to start looking for those openings, punching around the guard, and that's what he did. He had the, he had the, the high guard and he looked for that right uppercut and landed it right between the guard. Um, uh, of uh, Lubin, so he needs to work on his head movement, go back to the drawing board, uh, see what to do when you have such a a, a volume puncher. Uh, And for Fandora, I think he's ready for a title shot, but you have to ask yourself, can he keep someone like Charlo or Castaño off of him? I never thought of Lubin as a kind of come-forward aggressive fighter. I think Charlo and Castaño fit that description much better than Lubin, even though Lubin was a power, is a power puncher. Uh, but you have, to, you have to ask yourself, you know, what's going to happen when uh, Castaño and Charlo cut the distance against, against Fandora? What's going to happen when they hurt him? Are they going to let him survive? So all these things make for a potential world title shot for uh, Fandora very intriguing.
0: Yeah, I agree that there are those question marks about, you know, what happens when Fandora faces a guy maybe that can finish the job. Uh, but also there's that always that caveat, that asterisk. What happens when, you know, Charlo and Castaño have to face a guy that 6'5", 6'6", does their offense translate into you know a fight that's for their benefit in the trenches against a guy like Vendrell? Because you don't got you don't have to go searching for him. He's not going to box. He's going to come straight forward. Um, it just reminds me, obviously, not the same thing. But Diego Corrales always had you know the reach and was a taller guy, but he just loved being in the trenches and he knew how to fight that fight. And you know, nine times out of ten, it was beneficial. Or he he made it his fight, uh, even if another guy uh, was probably physically or on paper. Um, more apt to fighting that type of fight against it. Pandora has a lot going for him just because of that unknown factor back to Lubin and the stoppage. I got to give credit to Kevin Cunningham, um, his trainer, his coach. We all need a coach and a guy in our corner like that. And I don't know what exactly happened right after he stopped the fight, but someone threw something at him. I don't know if it was maybe the Lubin supporters that were just upset or I don't know what it was, but that was totally uncalled for. I think, if it was someone upset that he stopped the fight for Lubin, he could have saved his career right there. And even, you know, beyond that, who cares about boxing? He may have saved him from, you know, really bad physical damage. Um, his face was awful. And he just he just looked like everything was taken out of him. And, you know, Cunningham did the right thing by stopping the fight because Lubin was a guy and Fedora mentioned this after the fight that he was going to go out on a shield. Uh, he, you know, was there to win. It was such a, a, a high level fight and something that was going to parlay into another potential title opportunity for him. You know, obviously he'd want some get back against Jermell Charlo, his only loss up to that point. So, I mean, he wasn't going to just lay down and quit. And you saw it, you know, he got knocked down with the hard shot in the second, came back and did well enough to knock uh, Fandora down in the seventh. So it had, this fight had a little bit of everything. And hopefully for his sake, he'll, you know, take some time to rest and really come back because he's still young by no means out of the boxing game or out of the conversation as a top 154 pound fighter. He just, um, you know, lost to the better man last night. And so now things get interesting with Fandora Again, I go back to the hype, man. He's just this, the specimen. And so he's really going to shake things up. And when they asked him who he thinks is going to win that Charlo um, Castaño fight, he picked Charlo. Uh, He thinks that Charlo is going to win that fight. And, you know, who knows if that fight happens after um, that title unification, you know, that undisputed fight, that'll be something that people uh, will be intrigued with for sure. Thank you for listening to the RBR Recap. Make sure to follow us on social media at RBR Recap and visit RBRRECAP.com for the latest episodes.